0: from Blue Wire Studios today, so you're ready for the August premiere. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford stepping up, going left side, watch Calvin, end got him! Oh, baby, that was a rocket! And it's picked off, intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catching touchdown Lions. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Michael Rothstein show. I'm your host Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by NFL Sunday Ticket, DoorDash and Bet Online. Check out all of those great sponsors that we are so lucky to have. So the Lions were off on Sunday, but a couple of news pieces really popped because the coordinators came out and they talked for the second time since the start of training camp. And two of them, offensive coordinator Daryl Bebel and defensive coordinator Corey Unlin, dropped some news in each of their press conferences. We'll start with, to me, what is the bigger news, and that's over on defense, where Casually, as part of another answer about whether or not he'd be on the field or in a press box this fall, Corey Unland casually just also dropped that he wants to be on the field because he'll be calling the defense. And that is fairly large news for the Lions because the big question when, since Unland's hiring in January has been whether or not Matt Patricia would call the defense or it would be... Undlin, Paul Pascalone called the defense a little bit, and then about mid-season last year there was speculation that was never really confirmed by anybody, although it was pretty obvious that Matt Patricia took over a large majority, at least, of the play-calling of the defense a year ago, and considering how big of a year this is for Matt Patricia and for Bob Quinn, it would seem like Matt Patricia would have been the guy calling the defense, especially since Corey Oodlin hasn't done this on the NFL level before. Turns out Corey Udlin's going to at least, very least, be heavily, heavily involved in this. I, I still think that the way Oodlin dropped it leaves a little bit of wiggle room for Patricia to still be calling some of the plays and Oodlin being just heavily involved in all of that. But the way Oondland made it sound is that he wants to be there in front of his guys while he's coaching them, while he's making decisions. So to me, it really feels like Corey Oondland might be the guy who ends up being the defensive play caller to start. Now, this will not mean by any stretch that Matt Patricia is all of a sudden going hands off on the defense because there's no way, absolutely 0% negative percent chance that Matt Patricia doesn't have a pretty large say in the defensive play calling this year. That's his forte. That's his Ballywick. So for him to cede all control of that would be somewhat surprising. I'm still a little bit surprised that Unlin is going to be handling this from the start. Like I said, I think there'll be a little bit of wiggle room what that actually means. But it could mean you see more aggressive defense, maybe a little bit of different wrinkles and different scheme fits than what we've seen the last couple of years under Matt Patricia as Corey Oodlin maybe puts more of his stamp and his decision-making on the defense. Offensively, nothing big scheme-wise, but more about a single player in that don't expect a lot, and we'll get into this a little bit more when we talk about my practice observations from really all of training camp and some of my thoughts after the break, but... When it comes to DeAndre Swift, if you're counting on him to be heavily, heavily, heavily involved in the offense early on, at this point, I I would not necessarily count on that. And that's in large part because he's been injured. And to really grasp things within the offense, Daryl Bevel specifically focused on the fact that Swift can go through reps all he wants, go through Zoom calls all he wants, but He's not in there actually making decisions in the split seconds when he needs to, and the level of where he's going to have to do that is much higher at the NFL than it was at Georgia, as good as SEC football might be. So that's something that it sounds like Beville specifically doesn't want to overload him, doesn't want to put too much on DeAndre Swift's plate when he comes back. So what does that mean? That means that, hey, if you have On Johnson in fantasy, if you're banking on Carry-on Johnson in real life, then on Johnson might be your guy at least early on to get a large majority of the carries for the Lions. Bevel specifically said that it's not ideal what's going on with DeAndre Swift right now. They have to be careful not to overload him when he does get back on the field. But... Specifically, as we talked about, it's those decisions, but it's also that rapport with Matthew Stafford of re- Matthew Stafford reading him on routes. And we've seen DeAndre Swift in the limited time that he's worked be a dynamic pass catcher. And does Stafford understand his body movement, his fakes, and what he's able to do? Well, they ha- just haven't had that time to work together, and that's going to take reps. That's going to take hours of practice time in order for it to really manifest itself and that's something that the Lions just don't have right now and as long as Swift is out and he still has two weeks to get ready but these first two weeks when it's been all about just practice and not necessarily about any sort of game plan is valuable time that he missed due to injury. And put it this way, too, Bevel ended that quote about Swift by saying that every, and I quote, every day that he's missed, we're not comfortable. And to me, that signals that they are going ahead and planning as if on Johnson will be their main guy to start the season. And that's not a bad thing for the Lions by any stretch of the imagination. When on Johnson has been healthy, he's been a good runner, he's had 100-yard games before. He's shown explosiveness. He's shown really good vision. He's shown he can catch the ball out of the backfield. The biggest knock on Carry-on Johnson has been his durability. And as long as he is on the field, the Lions know what they're getting. And Ty Johnson has had a pretty good camp. Jason Huntley has shown flashes of being a capable pass catcher and a little bit even of being a runner. Bo Scarborough has not practiced much at all because he's been injured as well. And It'll be interesting to see how the Lions handle him, period. Whether they keep him on the roster or decide to move on from him. They did sign Jonathan Williams. And Jonathan Williams looked really good to start when he got to camp. But hasn't been quite as impressive over the last week that we got to watch. I'll have more on this situation later on this week when I give an official 53-man roster projection. Or what will be a 54-man roster projection because J. Ron Curse will start the season suspended. But right now, it looks like Carrion Johnson is going to be that first back. And it could be for a while because don't forget as well, Matt Patricia likes generally to work his backs in to get them acclimated, try to keep them fresh. And that combined with DeAndre Swift not necessarily having the preparation that the Lions would like because he's been hurt Really, if you read the tea leaves, it does lead to Kerryon Johnson maybe being the lead back for the Lions, at least to start 2020. We'll be back right after this break with some overall thoughts on what I watched from two weeks at Lions training camp and then set up the week ahead in the world of the Lions. You've counted on restaurants. Now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash, DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and even the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way And Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back to the NFL. NFL season, by the way, less than two weeks away. And with NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Now, back to our show. So, as I said at the top, this show show's going to be very much, at least the rest of it, about what I kind of saw from watching two weeks of practice at camp since we're not going to get another full practice, and the next time we'll see the Lions really play, as far as media is, when everyone else does, on September 13th against Chicago at Ford Field. And I want to start with the quarterback because that was one of our biggest questions heading in to training camp was how Matthew Stafford looked. And I'll tell you, Matthew Stafford looks great. Like, he really does. I know I hit on it a little bit intermittently throughout different podcasts over the last two weeks. But Matthew Stafford looks as on point as I can ever remember him looking during a training camp. He looks very much like the quarterback we saw towards the end towards the middle of last season when he broke his back and then ended up on injured reserve. It seems like he's picked up, I don't want to say right where he's left off, but kind of very close to where he was in the middle of last season. Some of the balls that he has thrown have been only catchable by the receiver. He's thrown a couple of interceptions throughout camp. One of them was on a free ball to Jeff Okuda. Another was, frankly, a diving interception that Romeo Okwara made. Most of the plays that were made that are interceptions were great plays by defensive players and not the sort of gimme interception that you'd see from Matthew Stafford every once in a while in years past. It seems like he's really making smart, confident decisions almost every time he has the ball. He's not really forcing a lot of it. Neither Daryl Bevel was asked about Matthew Stafford on Sunday. And here's kind of what he said. So he's looked and I quote. He's looked really good. He's just super dialed in. I really wouldn't say that's any different even than last year. I've always been impressed with him coming in here. He's always been a guy that's been on top of the game, been on top of his game, been on top of our offense from day one. It's not something that surprised me, but he is definitely dialed in right now. And when you look at what Stafford has done, and end of quote, by the way, and when you look at really what he's done, that that's all pretty accurate because he does look like he has still figured out a very good command of Daryl Bevel's offense, perhaps more than any other offense he's played in in his career, and he's played in quite a few at this point. I, you know, I, it would be interesting to see him now. In Scott Linehan's offense, because I think he's a much smarter play and a player and a much better player than he was when he played under Linehan. And so much of what he did was straight arm talent, some good decision making, and having Calvin Johnson. I think back to what Chase Daniels said on Saturday about Matthew Stafford and kind of what he sees, quote-to-quote quote, Chase Daniel, the backup quarterback. He is, he's a wizard, man. It's impressive. His recall of plays, how he can, a photographic memory, all that stuff you want in a quarterback. It's impressive and makes you want to work harder, and it's why he's been one of the best quarterbacks in the league going on 12 years now. The photographic memory part and the recall of plays is something that Matthew Stafford doesn't always really like to talk about, definitely doesn't like to show, but it's there, and if you ask any of his teammates, you know it's there, and occasionally even if you ask Stafford if he's having a good day, this was back when we had locker room access, it was there. And he could maybe recall something for you, but there are oftentimes where he's just like, ah, I can't remember that. Even though, frankly, based off of the way that I've seen Stafford talk and the way I've seen other quarterbacks talk, he absolutely can remember it. I mean, Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, these guys all have that type of photographic, instantaneous memory when it comes to football plays and almost every one that they've made, especially bigger plays. But Stafford looks, if Stafford plays like, He's looked in the in training camp during the regular season. The Lions on offense should have a lot of success this fall. Moving on from Matthew Stafford, because there's really only so much you can really say here, I want to move to the receivers, who are often the direct beneficiaries of whatever Matthew Stafford is doing. And again, this is a position group that I think has looked, on the whole, pretty good. And it might be the deepest position group the Lions have, where if you put any of the top six guys in with varying levels of success, um, you can feel good about it. Sure, the, the top end guys who are Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, you know what you're getting from them at this point. Each one of them has looked strong throughout training camp. Kenny Galladay, really over the last three to four days of camp, put together a string of really impressive days. Marvin Jones kind of just continues to do what he does, which is, Make the occasional highlight real play, but otherwise, just very quietly, very uh, succinctly, just is a good receiver who Matthew Stafford has a ton of comfort with. Danny Amendola, again, you know what you're getting from him. It's a high effort situation from him every single time, and he's diving out to make plays, and he's going to be still a reliable slot option. It's the backups where the Lions maybe have a little bit more surprise depth than what you would think. And Marvin Hall has been one of the most improved players, I think, from last season to this season. His route tree has grown exponentially. A year ago, it was really only, hey, run a go route, and that was about it. And occasionally, he'd try to run another route, and it wouldn't particularly go all that well. This year, he's run, I would say, almost a full route tree, but he's much more active in the intermediate game. He still has the speed to be almost any cornerback. And Matthew Stafford, again, seems a lot more comfortable with him. Plus, he seems more comfortable with making certain decisions in certain routes, which a year ago you just didn't really see. Quintus Seafest is a rookie. I don't know how much the Lions are going to really count on him throughout the year, but... He has good hands, his body is really strong, he can win one-on-one battles in the air and win contested catches, similar to Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones, but he's a little bit different. He doesn't quite have the speed that those two guys have, although Cephas said, insisted that he can run, and he was still disappointed with his 40 time from the from the combine, and that you, know, you shouldn't judge his speed based off of his 40 time, but he gets separation that you wouldn't necessarily think he can get, and he does it with superior route running that's kind of come from an early age with him. And again, I don't think the Lions are hoping to be in a position where they need to use him all that much this fall because that would likely mean an injury to one of their two top outside receivers in Galliday or Jones. But he's a guy that can come in and spell one of those two guys for a play, a series, and you'll have a drop-off, but the drop-off won't be as significant as, say, it was last year or in prior years when you got into more of the depth receivers, especially when you got to maybe receiver five, which is what Cephas will likely be as the four kind of top guys seem to be slotted in in the three starters at Marvin Hall. Then there is Jamal Agnew, and Jamal Agnew has been revelatory in making this position switch from cornerback to receiver. Didn't know how it was going to go. Early on before camp, I thought he was a bubble player at best. I thought it would... His spot on the roster would largely depend on what he did in the return game. And he's done well there and is likely to be the team's starting kick and punt returner. But what he has done as a receiver over the two weeks is every day he looks like he adds a little bit more. He's obviously going to be good on deep routes because he knows how to track balls from doing kick returns and punt returns. He has the speed that no one can question. And it was just a matter of getting off the line and getting past the defensive back, but he's added a lot of short routes and intermediate routes. I think of a play he made in Saturday's scrimmage where he kind of ran a Z-cut and ended up catching the ball, sliding to the ground in the end zone. But even over than that, almost every day during practice, I wrote down one or two times where he won an intermediate route or he won in two-on-two individuals with cornerbacks or two-on-three individuals with cornerbacks and a safety. He would actually win a slant route and end up in the end zone. So Jamal Agnew's shown a much larger Breath of route running than one would think for a guy who's just made this conversion over. That is a good sign for the Lions when I look at their receivers. Other one other pass catcher I think of note is T.J. Hawkinson. Last time anyone saw him, he was going off the field with an ankle injury that ended his season on Thanksgiving. But the way he looks right now in training camp, it looks like he could have a breakout 2020. He looks more confident. He looks stronger. And he still has the same red zone presence, the same ability to catch the ball at any depth of field. And he's still improving as a blocker, but the Lions liked his blocking coming out of Iowa, so he's only getting better there. But Hawkinson's starting to look more and more like a complete tight end and will be a guy who's going to be a real big mismatch problem, I think, for a lot of safeties and linebackers in the league, depending on who a different defense wants to put on him. And I think that could really force what the lions want to do with him offensively in a given game, whether they want to run more deep routes or maybe run more shallow routes and like let him win off of the line of scrimmage because he does have that strength and that size. He's a guy that I think if you look at this offense as a whole, if you're looking for a breakout candidate on the offense, because Let's face it, Matthew Stafford, Kenny Galladay, and you could argue even Marvin Jones have already had those types of seasons. TJ Hawkinson, to me, is the guy who could do that. It wouldn't shock me if he got up in the seven hundred, you know, 600 or 700-yard range with maybe a handful of touchdowns this year. And I think that would be a really good step up from where he was last year. And even more so, it would show, I think, consistency getting to maybe year three or year four, where he becomes a thousand yard receiver and maybe one of the tight end, top tight ends in the game. I think he has that type of potential and he just looks more comfortable overall on the field, which likely comes from being in his second year versus being a rookie. And I think there's not as much pressure on him as there was last year when he came in as a top 10 pick. He knows more what to expect now. And I, I think that part of it too, is that he understands what is being asked of him more so than maybe a year ago when he was trying to just learn Everything. Uh, One thing I want to talk about is rookies. And I think when you look at this rookie class, what you're going to maybe see early on is going to probably frustrate some fans, I think, based off of what I've seen in training camp. I don't anticipate DeAndre Swift, and we talked about that that a little bit before the break, or Jeff Okuda being standout, like shock the world rookies early on for a multitude of reasons. Swift, we talked about the injury situation. Okuda, he's still a young corner man. He's still a rookie corner, and that's going to take time to really learn that. Corey Undlin talked a little bit about that today, and this is what he said about Jeff Okuda. Quote, I would say steady progress. I think even for me, no OTAs. I mean, he's a rookie, and he missed a couple practices there early in camp. I mean, he's really been great on the grass seven times. He's really been on the grass seven times. So for me, for myself, I've got to keep the perspective to where it should be and that without OTAs, I know you can meet him on Zooms and we spend all that time on Zoom calls in the spring. It's not the same. I mean, when it starts and it's live and people are running around, there's an adjustment that's gotta take place. Not to mention running around with the wideouts that we have on offense. But at the end of the day, after seven practice for him, maybe eight, I can't really remember, He is on a steady incline, which is all we can ask. End quote. So that should tell you, I think, a little bit right there, especially when you combine with what Ulan said about Amani Awarie, which is that he's looking like a seasoned veteran, that Jeff Okuda might not start week one for the Lions. And I've been talking about this for a while. I've been going back and forth over the last couple weeks. But if you remember, for training camp, I said, don't be shocked if Amani Awarie at least gets reps, if not starts in week one against the Bears, and that was in part because if you don't need to rush Jeff Okuda on the field, then don't rush Jeff Okuda on the field in a starting heavy workload role. Let him work his way in. He's gonna figure it out. He's gonna find it. He's a smart enough player and you're already seeing flashes from him on a day-to-day basis of what he can be and that is a very high-level cornerback. But There's no need to throw him out there in a situation where his confidence could get hurt severely if you don't have to. And that's where I think the Lions might be right now is as they're working him along. And you don't want to damage his confidence. You want to put him in positions where it will build his confidence. So what does that mean? Does that mean a series here, a series there early on? Does that mean rotating with a warrior? Does that mean more situational Positions for Okuda? Yeah, I think it means all of the three. I don't think he'll be out there right away against the Bears playing every snap. I think A, Awarie has earned the chance to get some reps. By the way, he has played in camp, opposite Desmond Trufant. And also, it's it will give... I hate saying this because I kind of mocked it when the Lions did this with the offensive line. But at corner, it will give receivers a little bit of a different look and a little bit of a different type of cornerback between Okuda and Awari and Trufant if you run three different outside corners out there throughout the course of the game. So I think you'll see a little bit more of a rotation situation with those guys. Plus, it will allow them to, frankly, keep all three of them fresher, which is important in the fourth quarter of games and in the third and fourth quarters of a season so right now to start the year, don't be surprised if you see Amani Awarier over Jeff Okuda and if Okuda only gets, say, you know, a third to a half of the reps early on in the season. It's it's kind of part of the slow build, slow process, and also the fact that the Lions have, I think, a pretty good cornerback in warrior, and they paid Trufant a lot of money and they didn't pay him the money to sit on the bench that you can now have the luxury of maybe letting Okuda learn and pick up the speed at a slower pace versus throwing him out there and saying, well, you need to play 70 snaps today. Uh, good luck, Rook. I mean, you just don't want that to happen because that's how confidence gets destroyed. And I go back to Darius Slay, and I think I've used this example before, where Dar- that happened with Darius Slay, and then Darius Slay ended up getting benched and it took him... A while to get back and slay has even said that that time he had after he got benched where he was able to watch really helped him learn and understand and then he blossomed into one of the best corners in the nfl and a pro bowler a handful of times so less than a handful but you know three times so that i think is something to think of when you're looking at okuda and when you're looking at swift all of that said I think there'll be at least one rookie that does play a ton, and that's Jonah Jackson. He's started at right guard really since the beginning of training camp. That rotation that Matt Patricia talked about never materialized. And he's held his own. I think he's looked good in almost every practice. He clearly has a decent rapport with Frank Ragnow, at the center, which is important when you're trying talking about opening up run lanes. And he hasn't looked overwhelmed by... What's been going on in front of him? And we're going to get to that in a second because I think that's one of the major concerns that I have coming out of training camp. But Jonah Jackson has been largely a positive going against the Lions defensive line, which again is something that might be a little bit suspect when it's all said and done. Another rookie that I think is worth paying a little bit of attention to is Jason Huntley. I don't even know if it's a lock that Huntley's on the roster. I I anticipate he will be. You know, we've already talked about Cephas and we've talked about Swift and Okuda and Jackson, Uh, but Huntley might end up having a role early on, especially if Swift and Scarborough can't get healthy because I think at that point, Huntley, even though his pass protection is a bit of a struggle... He's a dynamic route runner. You can kind of use him in a J.D. McKissick gadget-type role, so the Lions already have that type of fill for him, whether it's him or Jamal Agnew, and you can envision a spot for him where it would make sense. And I think at times, especially in the scrimmage, but also a few other days, moreover, in the other days in individuals, that during the scrimmage, you could tell he maybe had some more power in his runs than you initially thought, or I initially thought at least, but when I look at him as a pass catcher, you saw it every day how skilled he is there and how easy it is for him to get separation. The other rookie to mention, I think, is Julian O'Quara because Julian O'Quara might end up playing quite a bit for the Lions early on. He can play with his hand down. He can play with standing up as kind of a rushed linebacker a little bit. And yeah, I think he's a guy that's going to see a good amount of work early He's shown, I think, good burst, and you can tell he's still learning. He's still trying to figure it out, but that if and when he gets there, he's going to be a really good player. He's shown flashes of that, not as much during individual drills, but more during team drills where it looks like he's able to you know, use some moves and start to build some counter moves to get past the Lions' offensive linemen, uh, more so when he's going against Vitae than when he would ever be lined up against Taylor Decker. But that's part of his maturation and growth process because he is, again, just a rookie. But you can see the flashes there as well. I think the Lions, when I look at their draft, those top four picks could end up being cornerstones for this franchise for the next few years if everything pans out. And I don't know if there is that question mark in the top four picks like there has been in years past with some of Bob Quinn's drafts, most notably T's Tabor. Uh, a few years ago as he's not even on the team anymore but when i look at this class and what they've done so far on the field i think that there's a lot of potential in those first four picks to have four high, you know at least above average nfl starters at some point here down the road if not better than that with those rookies like i said we get to some other stuff as well, and that defensive line remains my biggest concern. Trey Flowers is going to be what he's going to be. Everybody knows what he is at this point. But beyond that, I just don't know what they have. I've liked what I've seen out of Romeo Aquara. It seems like he's getting in the backfield a little bit. He has the athleticism that's never been a question for him. Julian Aquara, we talked about a little bit. But other than that, I just don't know. It's tough to analyze interior defensive linemen during training camp because of the level of hitting that is and is not going on but I haven't been all that impressed by Nick Williams uh, as a pass rusher and that's really why he was brought in to be kind of an interior pass pressure guy Danny Shelton's okay as a run stopper but I also haven't seen it a ton from him yet Um, and again I think that's a tough thing to read because of just kind of the situation of practice and not really having live tackling and and that the speed is different in practice than what it'll be on Sundays. So it's been a tough read, but I don't feel great about the interior of the defensive line. Kevin Strong is another guy there that has actually shown potential. And I think he's been the most explosive of the interior defensive linemen the Lions have had during training camp. Uh, Deshaun Hand been injured again, not as badly or as long so far, but He's missed the last few days of practice, didn't participate in the scrimmage on Saturday. And, you know, that's going to be something to kind of watch and see. Then on the end, like we talked about, you've got Flowers, you've got both Aquaras. And then other than that, it's just kind of a little bit suspect again. Austin Bryan's still on Pup. There's no indication that he's coming off of that anytime soon, even though he's running off on the side. And at this point, if you're activating him off of Pup, you have to wonder what type of role he's really going to have early on in the season because he hasn't played a ton of football in the past two-plus years. So it's going to be a rough transition for him whenever that does happen. So to me, I think that that front four specifically, and even maybe that stand-up linebacker spot a little bit, whether it's uh, Julian Acquara or Christian Jones, like, you, you look at that and you say, well, that's maybe an area they can add somebody through a trade or – through free agency or through cuts that maybe someone will slip through that they can then add to the team to try at the very least bolster depth, if not maybe search for uh, a talent upgrade somewhere, uh, particularly on the interior of the defensive line. But really, on either spot, it would not shock me. Um, corners, I think, largely have been okay. We talked a little about Awari and about Okuda. Trufant's just been you know, kind of silently doing his job in coverage, making the occasional pass breakup, trying to, you know, stick with receivers, learn the defense. There's no question that he has the talent. And in some ways, if a corner is not making a ton of plays, that's not the worst thing in the world because it means he's not, he's not maybe getting, you know, beat badly on a bunch of plays either. Safety, we've talked about this, I feel like, every day on the podcast and, you know my feelings at this point on Tracy Walker. He should be a starter. He should be playing every down. If there was one question I didn't get into Corey Unland that I wish I did, it was kind of why they're doing what they're doing with Tracy Walker. Um, Daron Harmon looks like he's pretty good. He fits really well into this defense. And he's shown really good range throughout camp getting from sideline to sideline or middle of the field play, more of a deep center field to a sideline play. He's had a couple of pass breakups and a couple of interceptions that way. Overall, he's looked incredibly athletic and it looks like he's a good fit there as their deep safety. So that means they can move Tracy Walker or in theory, Will Harris, if Will Harris somehow holds on to this job that it seems like he's been running a lot with the first team. So maybe he does have this job as of now, but Whether it's Walker or Harris, that'll allow them to be in the box more and kind of maybe cover more tight ends or cover more running backs. And you know you have Deron Harmon kind of as that backstop. Very similar to what Glover Quinn was for the Lions for about a half decade. I'm not saying Deron Harmon is Glover Quinn. I think Glover Quinn was an incredibly, incredibly talented player. But Deron Harmon is showing some skills to where you know he can maybe get sideline to sideline and has really good instincts to read what is going on on the field and that might end up being a really good trade for the lions with the patriots specifically for this defense the last thing that was kind of an overall impression for me is uh, the punting and long snapping i asked braden Cubs the special teams coordinator about the long snapping and how he judges it he said first thing is the snap and the snap has to be back there it has to be accurate the second thing is the protection, and how quickly they can get up to protect both themselves and to block. And that's a tough thing because the long snapper ends up being in a vulnerable position with his head down and generally guys potentially rushing right at him the second that he snaps the ball. And those two things are really important when it comes to long snapping I've watched both of the long snappers. Again, I've talked about it on a prior podcast. I can't really judge it just because I don't know these things all that well, which is why I asked the question. But I, I think I've seen more bad snaps from Mulebach than I have from Steven Wardle so far at this camp. That doesn't mean they're going to keep Wardle and cut Dom Mulebach. I did ask Braden whether or not they would fight or he would fight to keep two punters or two long snappers with the expanded practice squad, so maybe keep a a second long snapper or a second punter on the practice squad this year, which usually is not heard of all that much in NFL practice squads, although the Lions did have a punter on the practice squad last year in Jack Fox. And, you know, Braden was like, "Ah, I'd love to, but I don't make those decisions. Basically saying, I don't really know what's going to happen. But it would not shock me if you saw the loser of the... Fox-Aaron Sippos punting battle on the Lions practice squad and it wouldn't shock me if they do keep Mulebach if they try to get Steven Wardle on the practice squad as well because I think Wardle's look good enough that you can tell that if the Lions can hold on to him in some form or fashion he will likely end up potentially being Dom Mulebach's replacement at some point the question is just whether it'll be now and I just don't know the answer to that question like I said I'm not really qualified to Judge long snapping based off of any of the, the, what I've watched in football over the last two decades, it's just not something I'm focused on. Punter, however, Braden was asked about the punter battle and how you kind of make a decision there, and he, this is part of what he said. Quote that's the million dollar question those of you have been there i've seen both those guys performing at a high level i think we're in a situation right now where it's a good problem to have to have to try and make a decision between two guys who are really going out and executing consistently at a high level i've joked with both of those guys if one of you guys wants to go out and really crack under pressure one day and make this easy for me that'd be great but they haven't they've battled they both no matter what situation we've put them in no matter how much pressure we've tried to create whether situationally or with guys right in their face rushing everything we've thrown at them so far they both handle it really well so they're different they bring some different things to the table but kind of the way we've been evaluating them there's probably half a dozen categories or so aside from just gut instinct and i would say of those categories there's probably four that are almost neck and neck. I mean, like almost shockingly similar. And then of the other two, it's kind of split in terms of who's got the edge. It's really neck and neck. And obviously we're getting to a point here where we're going to have to make a decision and they're going to make it really hard on us. So we'll put our ends together and, we have, and when we have to, we'll decide. But as of now, we still got another week here for one of those guys to really maybe have the opportunity to separate themselves. And in quote, and I believe that. I don't think this is... Smoke. I don't think this is trying to not answer a question. I think legitimately they don't necessarily know who they're going to have as a punter yet. And I I think they might have an idea, but it's an idea that can get swayed over the next five days. Uh, I would imagine the forward field practice that they're expected to have this week could end up being a difference maker if one guy has a better practice than the other there, like markedly so. Uh, unfortunately, no one will get to see it publicly uh, as the media, like I said, well, we're down to getting to watch individual workouts and stretching. So I think it's a complete coin flip at this point. And I've gone one way on my 53 man roster projection. I don't necessarily feel great about that as far as a prediction goes because I think it can go either way. And it would not shock me again if on Saturday, one of those guys either one of those guys ends up winning the job and it wouldn't shock me if the next day the other guy ends up on the practice squad none neither one of those things will end up shocking me but it's going to be something to watch and i've probably watched more punting in this camp and paid more close attention to punting in this camp than i have ever done in any of my camps prior covering the lions well that's it for this episode of the podcast this week we're going to have a combination of a bunch of things We're going to have, obviously, today's episode about camp. We've got at least one, if not two, interviews scheduled and lined up for you. We're going to have a 53-man roster projection. And we're going to, I think this is going to be the plan, is that we're going to probably go Monday to Friday this week and then a podcast on Sunday to break down the 53-man roster. And I don't think we're going to have one Friday for Saturday. Unless there's a news reason to do so, because just so much will change and the kind of staying power for that podcast won't really exist all that much. So, like I said, we're going to get back into a little bit of a normal rhythm and then we'll, I'll explain what we're going to kind of try to do in the regular season towards the end of this coming week. As, hey, we're less than two weeks away, y'all. Thanks as always to my sponsors, NFL Sunday Ticket, DoorDash, and Bet Online as well as Regents Field and Blue Wire for hosting this podcast. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rothstein. And you can follow me on Facebook at Michael Rothstein Journalist. Don't forget to give us a five-star review if you're so kind on Apple Podcasts. And you can listen to us wherever your podcast needs take you. And with that, we'll chat with you tomorrow. Did somebody say playoffs? NBA and NHL, they're playing for the gold, and our partners at Bet Online have you covered. Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. Major League Baseball is pushing into fall, and hey, by the way, don't forget the Tigers. They're still in it, and there's no shortage of ways to bet with hundreds of odds, futures, and props. So take advantage of the return of sports, and remember that casino, it never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go play some blackjack if you want. Go to betonline.ag and use the promo code BlueWire to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, promo code BlueWire, betonline, your online sportsbook experts.